Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Bike Radar podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Bike Radar podcast. I am your host, Simon Von Bromley, and today I am joined by Ash Quinlan, Warren Roster, and one of our newest team members, Liam Carhill. Well, today we are here to gaze into our collective crystal balls and discuss our top road tech trends and predictions for the year ahead. Now, we have already done our mountain bike predictions on the Bike Radar podcast already. If you missed those, you should go back and check them out. And there will also be a gravel one too. But I think we can all agree, road is the most important. We're the most important people on the Bike Radar team. And these are going to be the best predictions. Is that right? More or less. Yeah. <laughs> and, and more to that, ours are the only opinions that matter. So if you hear yeah. any predictions from any other site, don't bother. No, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even nah. click on any other predictions. Was we'll start with you. What is your first tech prediction for 2023? Um, I guess it's a fairly obvious one. And that's, I think, that electronic groups are going to spread much further down the food chain. You know, up till now, they've only really been the reserve of like elite price bikes. You know, but Shimano brought us 105 DI2 in 22. In 22. Um, I know it's nigh on twice the price of the mechanical. Um, it can still be found on bikes from you know, 2,300 quid upwards. You know, it's a much better buy on OE spec than it is aftermarket. Uh, you know, that's definitely something we've seen. But, you know, going back um, probably a year prior to that, SRAM set a huge precedent with Force Axis. You know, Force Axis was a pretty expensive group when it came out. And then they just put this massive price drop on it. Um, so now it's, you know, it's cheaper than 105 DI2. And arguably it's a higher level group. And I'm wondering whether... They might do something along those lines now that Rival Access has been on the market for a while. You know, whether there's either a discount coming to that, or I wouldn't put it past them from introducing a, an even lower Axis equivalent group set, especially in that kind of one by area, you know, so for gravel and all road. Yeah, we kind of saw, um, we, we published a little sort of speculative piece on a, on a, um, Apex Access group set because SRAM had some sort of filings with the, uh, FCC, which is the kind of body, federal body that manages communicate like wireless signals in America. And, and they, those sort of suggested that there were some SRAM Apex axis shifters coming in. Presumably, if they're making Apex shifters, they're probably going to make the rest of the group set for it as well. I think it would be really interesting because, yeah, as you say, sort of SRAM has really pushed other brands into you know, kind of competing at that lower end for electronic group sets. And I think if Apex were to come along and, you know, be, you know, because as you say, like, you know, force isn't that expensive, relatively speaking, rivals pretty good value. And so if there was an even cheaper price point, that could really shake up the market again further on because, yeah, obviously, you know, we've kind of discussed it before, 105 DI2, pretty expensive group set. But yeah, maybe on OEM bikes, it's going to be a much better buy. Hmm. Hey, we've already seen that, you know. I was, I was looking around, and I think the cheapest I found was like two, 
2,250 quid. You know, so like two and a half thousand dollars for a 105 DI2 equipped bike. Do you think pretty uh, good? Do you think anyone else other than SRAM is going to be pushing this? Could we think we're going to see a kind of cheaper Campagnolo EPS group set or oh, something from Shimano? We, we just need to see something from Campagnolo. <laughs> yeah. Anything. 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 Yeah. In, yeah. Terms, in terms of pricing, though, it, it will be very interesting to see, especially what, I know this is UK specific, but what pound prices ha- do in 2023. Because towards the end of 2022, we, we saw things like the giant Propel, didn't even get launched in the UK or or on put on sale yeah, because they no were prices. they were waiting yeah. for the pound to kind of settle and do something. Oh yeah, I mean we we are you know we are really in the worst position of <laughs> anyone globally. If you want to buy a new bike, it's just it's desperate. Can't put a price on freedom though, right? Oh, <laughs> you can, you oh, can. Okay. It's about twenty percent on the price of a bike. Bring it, bring this back to bike. Um, the 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 interesting thing for me. In 2022, when 105 came out, was obviously it was priced quite high against rival access. Access? Mm-hmm. Access? Access. I never know. This is why you shouldn't take vowels. Well, we've got a great YouTube yeah. video on commonly mispronounced uh, bike names and things oh, like that, God, haven't we? I'm, so I'm, maybe you could direct a few offender. listeners to that. I'm terrible. We should all probably go watch it as well, I'm sure. <laughs> the, the, the thing for me will be to see where... Shimano sits on their DI2 105 pricing. We think that 105 Mechanical is coming in 2023. If that vastly undercuts um, the price of their 105 DI2, which realistically it's going to have to to tempt or to mean that people are kind of not tempted to just jump up to DI2, where's that going to leave the kind of the low or the entry level? which is a term that bike marketing people hate. Where's it going to leave the entry-level part of the market? Well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I've said this on, on when 105 DA2 came out, that unless Shimano did something, the upgrade path is dead because mm. everything mechanical was 11-speed, everything electronic was 12. And therefore, you've just killed a big part of the market. Of, you know, you know, we've, we've, we've all... We're all like bike owners, and in the, in a past, if ever anything went wrong on my bike, you know, say I broke a, you know, a, a one hundred five rear mech when I took it to get repaired or or bought a spare, I'd buy Ultegra because it's like, hey, that's a really easy upgrade, and it's the difference in price was so minimal, you might as well, and so you end up with this, you know, encroaching upgrade of your bike, and that's that's been killed, and you'd think Shimano are clever enough to realise that. So you would hope there's a 12-speed mechanical group that's affordable, that gives people that DI2 upgrade path should they want it. But, um, yeah, I mean, all those sort of rumours that are flying around about the new 105 12-speed. I mean, half the things I've seen, it's like a 2024 model year. So when is it? <laughs> you know, well, I mean, yeah, getting a hold of product is a, <laughs> a continuing yeah, other issue, other isn't thing. it? I don't think if, yeah, if it comes in 2023 in terms of that we get the news, then yeah, the first question everyone will ask is when can I actually buy it? And yeah, unfortunately, yeah. we just don't know, do the, we? The, the old Tegra DI2 that I'm running on on my bike now, I, I reported on that and um, sent my frame away to be built up and it came back 11 months later. So <laughs> Yes. I had, an, I had an SL7 sitting with Madison for ages. Yeah. And I was just like, uh, have you got Again, that? break out the small violin, Ash. Uh, yeah, yeah I know. I know. <laughs> I'm just enjoying listening at the moment. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to win back favours with the listeners because the hot take from this <laughs> is that 2023, in terms of group set news, is actually way more important than when Red gets launched or Dura-Race. Not many of us can actually afford those group sets, but we can afford 
potentially, if it comes out, a 12-speed mechanical 105 drivetrain. We can afford an updated rival. We can afford all of those things. So it's really an, an important year for the proper, the people's group. <laughs> well, I think it will certainly be interesting to to see what kind of happens in that domain. Obviously, there is still a lot of demand, I think, you know, just you know, from people like us, but also consumers in general for electronic group sets to get a bit cheaper. So I'm sure if that happens, everyone will be uh, very happy about it. Do you have any other spicy predictions for 2023 was? Uh, yeah, I could, I could probably go on for <laughs> too long about it. Um the other thing I would say is I think, um, and actually, you know, mentioning the the story you wrote about the the UCI relaxing their aero rules, I think that's probably the spark that we'll see aero road bikes make a comeback. You know, in their purest form. You know, we've seen that sort of dilution over the last few years. Tarmac SL7, you know, was a mashup between Venge and Tarmac SL6. Um, the new Giant Propel, admittedly, is not quite the full fat aero that the previous model was. It's got a bit svelte. It got a bit light, got that. Even Cervelo simplified the new S5 compared to the old one. The foil RC as well as another case in point. Yeah. Yeah. And so now I think I think there'll be a lot of designers out there that'll be really chomping at the bit to try and uh, go and push that, see how far those boundaries can go. And I would say the one bike that's right for that is probably Cannondale with the System 6. You know, it, it did have that independent test that said it was the fastest thing out there. Um, and I'm pretty sure they'd like to regain that crown, as it were. It's an easy thing to say, but you know the regulations that govern how how bikes are designed are you know they're subject to tweaks every now and then. But an overhaul is probably overdue. Um, so I'm going to raise that as one of my, if not a prediction, it's a hope at least that there'll be a campaign by brands and by stakeholders in the industry to push forward some kind of if well mini revolution in how bikes are designed and and how they have you know the bikes that pros can race as well because that's the shop window at the end of the day isn't it that's the that's the place where we see them all being raced um and, and being ridden by the best riders in the world and therefore you want to buy what the what the best are riding right so i think it would be nice to see that whether that happens or not is is another thing so i would i, would, I wouldn't say i'm going to predict that but i'm certainly going to say i'm going to hope for that and then Catch me in 12 months' time and I'll say exactly the same thing again. Just before we get too deep into that, because I think I've got a relatively good understanding of the new uh, UCI mm-hmm. rules. This Sorry, is one of those things. If you think you understand it, that, oh, mean, that means you don't. That right? means you do. that's yes. That's it. <laughs> I'm going I'm to drop the man that does understand it. Simon, you... you I, don't, I don't think I do. They, yeah, but they've dropped the three-to-one rule. They I have that, dropped the three-to-one the rule. That's the headline, isn't it? Yeah, so that was the, that's the headline. Yeah. What's, what's the new kind so of... So now you just have your part just have to fit within a kind of like a template of boxes that measure it can you can basically have up to eight to one now that's but that's significant for aero bikes especially let's say in the leading surfaces so like head tube down tube mm. kind of areas and there's no there's no stipulations they i don't know I, eight, eight hundred, was it eight, i don't know if you can have eight to one on on a on a frame tube because obviously that would entail having a, an eight centimeter long you know, down tube that was a centimetre wide. Let so, it happen. Be a challenge, wouldn't it? So be it would be an engineering, that would be a challenge. So instead, there's just a kind of box that it has to fit within. I think, you know, for me, like we often hear, you know, people sort of saying or bemoaning the UCI rules and sort of saying that, you know, they're very limiting. But actually, if, you know, you look at something like the Trek Madone, got a nice big hole in its seat tube. You've got the Hope HPT track bike with its massive fork and seat stays. You know, these were all designed within the kind of, you know, the previous UCI rules. So I think there's plenty of scope for, for brands to develop, but it's just that, 
you know, one, they've got to make a bike that looks good enough to sell. Two, they've got to make a bike light. And obviously adding more material, making something bigger, you know, adds weight and, and people just don't like that. But I I agree with Was, but I, I think totally aero bikes are going to make a comeback this year because, you know, you look at the Tour de France and the kind of speeds at some of those, the average speeds on some it's of those insane. days were like 55 kilometers per hour or something like that. Yeah. You know, if you're not on an aero road bike, you're... You, the the kind of the power required to overcome the drag at that speed is just getting massive. So so yeah, I I would really love to see you know I, I think a new Canada uh, System Six is on the cards. Like I, I think we have you know and I like to Google every now and again because it's a really nice bike. And I saw that the models from this like the year just gone seem to be all on sale, and they don't seem to have updated the twenty twenty three models yet. Mm. You know, we'll see about that. I would really like to see a specialized Venge, although <laughs> I'm not sure that will happen. I don't. I, it would be a weird one for them to suddenly kind of resurrect that. But I would really like to see it because I think that was the bike that Specialized always kind of pushed the boat out a bit more on. You know, like I know the Venge Vias was a bit of a compromised bike, but I think it looked really cool. And I'd like to see them, you know, go a bit more out there. The Tarmac for me, the kind of formula of you know, one bike to do it all. Like, you know, like it, I mean, if you're only own, if you're only going to own one bike, I'm sure it's great, but it is a bit dull. And you know, since I'm not putting my money where my yeah. mouth is, I mean, that's the thing. Is like, you know, from personal experience. I mean, I went on the Vias launch and spent spent a week out in at Specialized HQ riding it and and find out all about it. And I came away massively impressed and also absolutely convinced as a bike I did one of my own. That's uh, so what I think about most aero bikes. I, I like riding them. I think they're amazing. But I, I want to go to Mallorca and rent one, yeah, uh, and then leave it there. You know, it's a bit like <laughs> having a track car. You yeah, know, it's that kind of yeah. pure. Whereas, so I always thought the Tarmac SL6 was like the ideal bike for for me. I mean, I've got one, I own one, and when they brought out the Tarmac SL7, I was kind of like, uh, I was a bit nonplussed about it. It's like, well, it's not quite as aero as the Vias, and it's not as light as my SL6. So, why do I want this? <laughs> you know, it was kind of, and so I. I I can understand doing it. I can understand, you know, bringing all those, um, you know, even from a business point of view, bringing all those kind of SKUs together and just having one platform that does everything to a really high level. Mm. Great. But um, I think there is still going to be a considerable market out there for people who want that ultimate fast aero bike but aren't interested in a time trial bike, you know. So. Yeah. I think as well that with the new UCI rules, the likes of Specialized actually have the perfect platform for actually launching or relaunching the Venge because they can make it a completely aero-only bike. Whereas, I don't know. And, and there's that there's that element where they don't have to put quite so much compromise in. There's no there's no real concern for weight because if you want weight, you've got the tarmac, and if you really want weight, like me, <laughs> you've got the Athos and. My side um, prediction from the aero prediction is that actually the UCI re uh, relaxing the rules on the kind of aero design is the best thing that's ever happened for climbing bikes. Because while they've still got the 6.8 kilo weight limit, that's such a limiting factor, especially for the Athos. Like mine's an Ultegra bike and that can be built down easily to that limit. It's the best thing for climbing bikes because now we might actually get a revival of the climbing market with actual exposed cables and you know nice things that are nice well, for... be an exposed cable you don't need cables yeah this is the other thing <laughs> yeah. there'll be there'll be electric brakes soon 
Uh, well, Ash, you, you know, you mentioned earlier you've been testing the uh, the new Ribble Aero road bike, the Ultra. I think you've had the Ultra SL model. Like, that's right. That's yeah. that's kind of one of those. You know, that that's kind of one of the bikes where it feels like it's kind of pushing those UCI rule limits. Uh, like, what what do, what do you think? Is this something that we're going to see more of in the twenty twenty three? In terms of seeing more aero bikes are specifically di- designed to be that, I think so. I think. Kind of a rule of marketing. Once you exhaust a story, you move on to the next one. So, so you. Oh, I don't you, know about that. Uh, everyone, in, everyone in the bike industry is, you know, wholly motivated by only good, good things, right? Good, good intentions <laughs> and, and making the best bike for someone else. Yeah. Um. I mean, the, the reality is that once you've once you've gone down the path of selling extreme aero bikes and extreme lightweight bikes, which we saw maybe what six, five, six, seven years ago. You move towards a, an all-in-one, a new story, essentially, to try and sell a bike to someone. When you come out of that, you then move, you the paths diverge again. And so, I mean, I it's just a general rule, really, of marketing. So, you know, I would caution anyone listening to pay attention to that marketing um, and understand that, you know, bikes can give you so you know a lot of something but then maybe not so much of something else you know I'm finding already with the ribble there are certain characteristics that will certainly appeal to a specific number of people but then there are some characteristics that really really won't and so you know that doesn't mean it's a good or a bad bike overall it's very hard to say that to all all things to all people it's not going to be that but it's going to be excellent for some people I'm sure and not so great for others so yeah I I mean I mean, if the, if the industry wants to sell more bikes, then yeah, it will split it will split apart and make more more and more uh, um, categories to sell, sell them in, right? Yeah, I, I think it sounds very pessimistic to say no, all that. I don't, but, but I, I think I don't it's realistic. Think so. Yeah, like I think, I, yeah, like you said, we we've kind of gone through an era. You know, was mentioned earlier, like of kind of consolidation of of kind of road bikes. Mm. You know, we went from having you know ultra specialized like climbing bikes and aero road bikes, and then we kind of consolidated them into you know, one bike to rule them all sort of thing. And now maybe we're going to go back the other way. And it's just kind of just one of those circles of life that that the kind of industry keeps going through. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Roz. We'll we'll obviously, we'll be keeping score and we'll come back this time <laughs> next year to check what you, uh, to check how you did. Okay, Liam, let's move on to you. What is your first big tech prediction for road bikes in 2023? I will kind of skip over the group set battles prediction that I've made because we've we've covered it a little bit, but SRAM will launch a new range, and I'm talking a whole range. They'll do a Shimano, but they'll go bigger. We're going to see a new red. We're going to see a new rival. Not right, mm, yeah, force. Right, force, and then rival. We'll see it all, and wow. it'll be 13-speed, and it'll start annoyingly with a 10-tooth cog, Um, They will drastically improve the braking because I think they needed to after Shimano made those levers just so mushy in your hands and feel like rim brakes and that makes me happy inside. (laughs) Um, And obviously, um, yeah, you're going to just agree with my points because... They're just true, yeah? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. Anyone else? <laughs> Ash, what do you think? <laughs> um, it's it, it's a big prediction, for sure, to have a complete range overhaul in one go. Um, SRAM has tr- track record on that, I think. They do tend to go big, fair, but they tend to start updating their sort of second-tier group first before they then move on to something else, I think, track record states. Unlike Shimano, where, where in the past you have Jorace first, then Altegra, or in the last launch happened at the same time um the way shram tends to do it is it will launch the second tier where it can sell more volume and then 
will launch the lighter weight sort of um, top 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 tier um, group set after you know soon after or you know after that. So um, there could be some merit in it. There could be some merit in it. Um, as I say, we've seen some rumours that there are there's so there are some new new tech floating around when it comes to SRAM and <coughs> GRX <laughs> and, yeah, potentially it, you know it, we'll, we'll we'll have to see I I would like to see SRAM certainly raise its game especially when it comes to braking um, server wave tech from Shimano has really upped the game there um, I'm currently testing 105 Di2 now to within an inch of its life um, and you know Simon you've done Jaw Race very recently was you reviewed the um, Ultegra um, and yeah, the braking performance is stunning um, across the board. And you, it, it, there's room for having a preference. Um, I happen to know one of our, one of our team members, Oscar. He he really still likes them his Campagnolo braking, and that's totally fine if that's what you like. It's a very 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 good group set and a very very good you know braking um, system. Um, yet yet server wave is probably the industry standard at the moment. Um, so SRAM, if it wants to take the fight to Shimano, actually it probably isn't in drivetrain efficiency necessarily I, i'm not too fussed about a 10 tooth cassette if i'm on you know chain ring on, on ring on the cassette if i'm honest um but yeah impress me with your braking and then we'll talk some more mm. that's the you know the shifting and braking that's the those are the key things because that's what you can get annoyed by so easily yeah and and i, th- I think it stands to reason it it's always sounds counterintuitive but the better brakes you've got the faster you go because the more confidence you have, yeah. the better modulation you have, the, the the more control you have. Therefore, the more you the, you know, the faster you can ride. Um, that will become that will become obviously more relevant to someone who rides longer descents or you know tests their brakes with more aggression. Um, but it stands to reason across the whole you know the whole gamut of cycling. If you've got a better brakes, you'll go faster. Weirdly. I'm glad that you all agree with me completely. <laughs> My, uh, I would love to see. Don't get me wrong. I would love to see that come true. That would that would be a that would be a big year for SRAM. It would be fun. It would be fun to cover mm, as well. Totally. Um, my, like I say, we mentioned that a little bit earlier. Um, so I'm going to try and squeeze in three predictions. Go for it. Second one is that high-end tan road tubeless. Okay. So tan wall mm-hmm. tubeless will actually become nice. <laughs> Um, so usually if you've got a tubeless tire, your issue is if you want to make it a nice cotton sidewall is actually making the thing tubeless. Otherwise sealant just pisses out. And I've got, <laughs> I got some brilliant videos of me setting up, um, it wasn't challenge. What was it? Veloflex, uh, cotton sidewalls, okay. but it was meant to be tubular, tubeless. Just that thing is just leaking everywhere. It was terrible. It was a terrible day in my life. So I've been interested in those tires because I agree I'm a I'm a big tan tan wall fan and yeah Veloflex always made very nice tires. I think a lot a couple of brands like Challenge for example have added a kind of butyl liner yeah to their tires to to get around this problem. I don't know if that's how Veloflex have done it as well. They they've done it but they've done it in a very porous way. Okay. Well because the obviously you know adding material to the sidewalls adds rolling resistance. That's that's the issue isn't it? it? Does, so like yeah. I remember Vittoria released their coarser speed TLR in a tan wall originally mm. and then they quickly went back on it <laughs> and made it kind of grey and they've got some kind of like flexible coating mm. on the sidewalls which is like you know it's fine it's not as pretty still pretty fast I, I would really like to see this one happen I you know I was very happy when 
the Schwalbe Pro 1 TLE and the Continental GP5000 STR both came in a kind of, you know, tan wall in inverted yeah. commas, but it's a very like brown biscuity color, not a classic. They just don't count in my book. If okay. You, if you paint it on, <laughs> it's not a Well, tan no, wall. so they're not painted on, oh, yeah, but, but they're cotton. like, they're not the classic like light tan, like we would see from a, like a Vittoria course. Well, it's not cotton, is it? It's, no, it's it, not cotton. Yeah, it's it's, 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 it's a, nylon it's a, it's a tire. Nylon. Yeah. It's just a non-black nylon tire. So... Vittoria, we have spotted this, haven't we? We spotted yes. a what looks like a Vittoria Corsa Pro, presumably tubeless because you can see the valves. Team Jumbo Visma have been running that at their training camps. They did ask Vittoria about it and they just said, we're not talking about it. So, And obviously they now work with, uh, in their product family is Dugast, who make mm. the beautiful cyclocross tubelers um, if you want to go faster on a cyclocross course. Don't get tubeless <laughs> get tubelers from Dugas they're just brilliant um, but hopefully they've managed to make those casings tubeless and if they have it will be a world beating tyre because it will be fast it will be supple and it will just look stunning anyone else any more tan wall fans in here or is it just me and Liam oh I do like I do like it yeah I do like a tan wall but not to the extent where I would take it over the advantage of a tubeless this side of the room is not bothered at all oh no i think certain bikes they, oh, okay. they have to be yeah i, I do oh, agree yeah. like on certain bikes like i think yeah. it can really set off a black carbon bike really yeah. nicely personally but i yeah it, it's tricky because i used to run vittoria courses with latex tubes and that was those were incredible but they're kind of they've been a bit left behind in terms of like rolling resistance and things like that even though the ride feel is still up there with the very best i, I think yeah they weren't quite as good as you know yeah your gp5000 strs mm. so and for balance listeners, I, I'm not a fan of tan sidewalls at all. <laughs> and I like just plain black black sidewalls. Um, no, no, tan sidewalls have a, have a place. They have a place, but it's really a style a style thing, and and that's fine. But when I'm riding a bike, I, I actually I think I think um, black sidewalls look just just fine anyway. So I, I haven't I haven't really got a a preference on that. So if if you if you are a listener and you you agree with me, then brilliant. Absolutely not. <laughs> anyway, um, my my third and final prediction is a very bold call, but we saw the um, team Uno X. Uh, they are the Danish team, Norwegian, Norwegian team. Sorry for that. Um, they have just been granted a wild card for the Tour de France. Uh, they personally they should have gone last year. B and B hotels were invited and then did absolutely nothing <laughs> in that race. They made I think maybe one or two breaks. Great work. Um, but they've got a wild card. Now, when I was at the Dauphiné last year, we'd spotted um, that Uno X were using the classified power shift hub gear system. Do you want to just briefly explain what that is for our listeners? Who that aware? is rear hub, relatively simple two-speed um, hub gear that effectively replaces your front derailleur. So you have one speed that is 100% of whatever chain ring that you have fitted. And then you have a reduction gear, which is about 70% of whatever you have fitted at the front. And that basically means that you have the kind of setup that you would usually have. So if you had a 53, you'd have the effective 39. What I think is good about them is that when you're chasing every aero advantage, if you remove the front derailleur and go to a one-by system, it's got to be faster. It's, it's just got to be. 
because yeah, I think there is if, a there's definitely a measurable gain in running a kind of one by system because you know yeah the front derailleur adds a little bit of drag. You can run a you know typically run a, like a solid chain ring that sort of thing. I don't think it's you know an enormous thing. It's a kind of like a one a one percent type of thing. You know I, I like that you've gone classified wins at the Tour de France. So yes. yeah, I mean there's going to be some pretty big hitters at the Tour de France this year. You think this is going to make the difference? They're going to beat your your Garners and your Stefan Kungs and your you know I mean Wout van Aert's with with the squad that they have. Um, they've just signed Christoph. They've got a massive chance to do it. But also, I, I was talking to their mechanics at the Dauphiné and they were really, really um, certain that they were going to use it in the biggest stage races, you know, as they tested it. They've had it in the team for a year. Surely that is now the case. And my prediction is that they win at the Tour de France and then Classified just takes over the world. So, <laughs> okay, so just another small prediction. Just a small prediction. Just a small I mean, prediction. I, I'm actually, I mean, I used, uh, I had the, the Classified Power Shift Hub well, probably about 18 months ago on a on a Ridley gravel bike and um, it, it blew me away how good it was. It's fabulous. It's just absolutely. instant, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the instant change is absolutely fabulous. I mean, they had a few niggles with mainly kind of early build quality, like mm. you know, like rubber covers on all the all the bits were lost after the first ride. You know, <laughs> yeah. so I had like an exposed charger on the rear hub, you know, and and things like that. But but the actual pure performance of it mm. was uh, exceptional. And what I really I'm confused about classified right now is how they haven't been swallowed up by somebody else. I'm amazed you know, that SRAM has it. Or Shimano, or, you know, mm. or any, of, any, any of the big I players. I love that they haven't as well. I know, I think, I think, but I think tech like that, if, if it had the weight of one of the big boys behind it, um, it, it would be much more prevalent than it is now. Yeah, you know? it, it would be a, a kind of a market changer. Yeah. But the only thing, you know, classified are playing it, you know, quite clever because you can use it on, on everybody's systems rather than and that's the difference you can also get them built into a lot of various brands wheels now because you know they came out with their own wheels and they were mm, they were meh they were all, they were all right they were fine wheels but they were people want choice yeah they they weren't exciting as a wheel and now you can get them in a ton of wheels um so go and buy one well actually i i quite like it. I, I hope that the classified hub is a real big success because i'm hoping it will bring back wheel builders yeah <laughs> you know it's very difficult to get a wheel built anymore you know I, i've been trying for ages to get a um a lefty front wheel gravel wheel built for um a suspension gravel bike you know, gravel fork test that i'm doing and it was just so difficult you know get a lefty hub straight away just find someone to actually build mm-hmm. it you know and eventually just sort of you know impressed myself on hunt a lot, and eventually they relented and they built me one, which actually got delivered on Saturday. So. Oh, lovely. I was, I was going to say, listeners, talk amongst yourselves. Um, I was just going to recommend a friend of mine, Rob Borick. Mm. If you're in the Bristol area and you need a wheel building, I'm going to give him a shameless plug because yeah. he's made some very good wheels Yeah, we, Rob's a friend of Bike Radar. He's, he he's is, actually yeah. reviewed some, some wheels for us recently. So, yeah, yeah, a hearty recommendation. Well... I can't wait for Classified to take over the world. I mean, this is going to be a really big year, isn't it? SRAM are going to refresh everything, Classified taking over the world, like we're going to get tan water. I can't wait. Well, the good news is we've got a a review of the uh, Classified hub system coming in the the coming months as well. Tom Marvin's taking that one on and, uh, yeah, across a range of sort of gravel and road stuff as well for us. So he's, uh, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing how that goes. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Liam. I love love how bold you are with those predictions. (laughs) Um, Like I said, I will be keeping score. And we'll come back next year to find out how you did. Don't think I'm going to score very well. <laughs> uh, so, Ash, 
Tell us your predictions for 2023. So I've got two predictions. Uh, they're a little bit smaller than Liam's, but that's okay. That's it'll be okay. It'll be fine. The I think my first is, and it's, it's a desire more than anything else. I'd like to see cheaper bikes again. There was a time when there was a time when you could buy a 105 uh, mechanical shifting uh, carbon bike for around 1,500 pounds. I remember those days. Uh, mm-hmm. They are long gone at this point. Um, if you want a, a, car- a decent carbon frame along with your 105 group set, I think they're, those are long gone. But I'd like to see Tiagra become the new 105 and get and, and fill the gap as well between you know, t- you know your 10 speed and your 12 speed at the moment. Fill that gap for 11 speed. You know, if if we do see a 105 mechanical group set come out of the woodwork this year as well, that goes 12 speed, fine. But that will be your top-end mechanical group set. And there are plenty of people out there, myself included, who enjoy riding a, a well-sorted uh, mechanical group set. Uh, Shimano has the parts bin to do it. It could literally take um, the previous generation Altegra, rebadge it as Tiagra, 11-speed, off you go. And you'd probably have a group set, all the group set you'd ever need, and you could sell it a lot cheaper than you're currently selling You know, 105 at the moment, which I think currently prices at around £1,730. As we said earlier, uh, sorry, that's about eighteen. That's about $1,900. I mean, I mean, as what was said earlier, um, you know, you can buy these. It's a lot, a lot easier to buy these group sets attached to a bike, and that's always been the case at you know, OE level. But uh, yeah, I'd really, really like to see Tiagra sort of take a step up into sort of the performance realm with 105 historically having been the entry point for performance road group sets for Shimano. I'd like to see Tiagra sort of take its place because there's nothing wrong with the 11-speed mechanical, um, you know, 11-speed mechanical drivetrain. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you. Um, Tiagra is going to be where it's at. When they, when they update it, it's just going to be fabulous because like you say, it will be old Maybe not 105, but it'd be old Altegra 105. Yeah, mix and match. That was brilliant stuff. It's it's, it's th- those are great groups. As we did a we did a, a 105 mechanical group test on on four separate bikes recently. I, I took that test on, and it, you know the the group set is still very very good. We're talking about margins here um, when you up up to 12 speed and you you change some of the servos and you you know you you make the motors more powerful in electronic group sets but we really are talking margins and yeah they make a small amount of difference but you know it's a different question to say is this the be- you know is this the best group set the best mechanical the best electronic group set on sale right now is this the best bang for buck you can get and it's different to say i already own the previous version should i upgrade um, and with heart, but you know, my hand on my chest and you know, hand on my heart, and say, you know, a lot of the time it isn't. You know, stick with what you've got until you've until you've killed it, and then change. So yeah, it's. Uh, I'm, I just hope to see one Tiagra come into the mix and um, make bikes a little bit more, a little bit cheaper for people again. Run it into the ground and then use it as your winter bike. That's <laughs> that's, that's the tried and tested method, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think so. Although that's um, that's always been odd. I mean, that, for me, that's always been an odd an odd way to approach it because I see so many. Um, so many winter bikes, they're clearly older win- road bikes that people have turned into their winter bikes and they're still running rim brakes on them. And you think, well, this is, if there was one situation where disc brakes excel over rim brakes, more than any other, it's in wintry conditions. So it's an odd thing that you would then do that. But of course you do it because it saves you, it saves you money and you've got it in your, in, in your back pocket already. So it, it makes total sense to do it, apart from the fact that you're missing out on one of the key bits of tech that you want. But. Come on, guys. Hands up here. Who's got an electronic group set on their winter bike? Nope. 
I do actually. I do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having said all that, I do actually, but it's because I'm testing it. Um, I don't really have a winter bike. I just have bikes. Oh, I've, 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 I've like a bit like you. I've got a classic. My just my winter bike is the oldest frame I have, plus mm. some clip-on mud guards, and it's just like a hodgepodge of stuff. But like, it's so rubbish that like most of the time, unless it's like, I mean, to be honest, it's kind of one of those things where like, I really don't want to ride it. Like, I, I was, I kind of put some small amount of effort into doing it up this year and then I've just not ridden it because if it's pissing down I'll just go on Zwift and and then if yeah. it's kind of like not raining or maybe about to rain I'll just be like oh, I'll just take the TCR <laughs> but to be honest you know I'd spend four days out of the week riding other people's bikes so yeah the kind of need for a winter bike isn't the the joy of That's the bike great. tester isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> destroy someone else's dura race in the worst conditions imaginable yeah maybe maybe but I mean bringing it back I would say from a business point of view, Shimano should be looking to spend more time on the next-gen Triagra or the next-gen 105, or those mechanical groups that on bikes people actually buy, yep. than anything else. Quite simply, you know, super high-end is fine, but, you know, that's just total irrelevance. And, and I think what Shimano have always done really, really well when you talk about you know, legendary 105 group sets um, is that that's probably the first serious bike you'll buy will have that on it. You ride it, you become a Shimano fan. You become a Shimano customer for life. Mm. You know, Surround did a good job when they launched Double Tap because they price pointed it very well and they they created a, a, a good SRAM fan base as well. And then the one brand that hasn't done any of these things is Capagnolo. They have literally abandoned the entry-level market. They... And they will tell you, well, we make high-end group sets. We make, you know, we make the, the best quality group sets for the best bikes in the world. I go, where are your customers? Where's, where's the, you know, the 13-year-old who's just getting into road riding? He's never going to ride Campac because he can't, he'll never be able to afford it. So then he's never going to become a customer. You know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the average Campac Nolo customer is in their 50s. You know, apart from the fact that they're the only people who can afford it. Um, <laughs> but they yeah. aren't getting any new customers. They really need, Campac need to bring back Xenon, bring back Mirage, bring back Centaur, you know, to at a bit bigger extent. Because I love Campac. You know, I've got two or three Campac bikes. You know, I, the the biggest folly bike that I own, you know, an old stock scenario, which I spent an inordinate amount of money on after an insurance settlement from having six bikes stolen. Um, I bought one bike and built one bike and it had Campac Super Record on it mechanical compact super record on it i spent a ridiculous amount of money and that was the the only choice that i could make for that bike even though when i finished building that bike it was out it was obsolete um, <laughs> but let's not go into that uh, Fourteen thousand quid and it's only really good to put on a wall now but that's the thing is no compact has these incredibly devoted fans but there aren't any new ones and that really worries me for them they've made decent inroads with e-car but but that purist road which is who Campagnolo are I, I don't. I don't know where they're going to be. You know, that's my prediction for not for this year, not for next year, but in five, ten years. I don't know if Campag will exist as a group set manufacturer. The the worst thing that's happened for them recently is losing Pogaccia, because they've made the switch to Shimano and they've instantly lost their Tour de France hopeful, which is the biggest marketing event in the world for cycling. Realistic. Yeah, it is. It's very difficult for Campagnolo. I'm, I'm, you know, we can talk about it from a business sense. Like, it must be very, very tricky, you know, to, to kind of match the economies of scale. Or you can't, they can't match the economies of scale that Shimano has. But I, yeah, but I agree. No, but like, nobody they, can. But they nobody can, and they might not have a choice. To bring it back to Ash's prediction, I think 
I would also like to see, as you, as you sort of said, was Shimano pay a bit more attention to that lower end of, of thing because, you know, Tiagra is, you know, functions very nicely. I've got Sora on my commuter bike. It kind of functions fine. Like, Sora looks okay, but I think Tiagra is is at a kind of weird point where they haven't put as much effort into the kind of the the look of it as they did with obviously, you know, Durace or Tegra and 105, which all share that same mm. look. And what so I, what I would really like to see if, if Tiagra is going to become the new 105, as well as a kind of, you know, a functionality update to make it kind of, you know, 11 speed, better front derailleur, you know, maybe a shadow rear derailleur, that sort of thing. I also think it just needs a kind of aesthetic update so that like you don't feel that you're kind of buying an entry-level group set in inverted commas. Because I think when I see it on the bike now, it just doesn't look as good as 105. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be really key for me. Um, but yeah, that would that would be a really good one. And, you know, there are there's always going to be clamour for cheaper bikes in a kind of time when inflation's really high. So I think updating Tiagra would be a really smart move. Uh, any more predictions, Ash? I think, yeah, my second prediction is I think we'll probably see more hookless wheels um if if not in necessarily in the in the market but more being ridden by people out in, out in the world um ultimately they are e- they're easier to manufacture um they are slightly cheaper to manufacture to to and to the point that was made to me a few weeks ago you know zip sort of passes on some of that some of those savings as well as some of its wheels to to the customer which is a really laudable thing to do you know if it costs you less to make then you know pass that on and I just, I, I just think that although I'm someone who chooses to ride a clincher, a, you know, a clincher setup when I'm testing bikes and when I'm riding bikes day to day, I just think that having a, I think the, you know, the hookless trend is probably going to keep moving forward this year. And I think we'll, we'll see more and more of the wheels that I'll end up testing this year will be hookless than they, than they will hooked. And that will pain me slightly because I'll want to run a clincher setup and I won't be able to. Um, but, you know. Uh, or at least I can run a clincher setup, but I'll need to run a tubeless tire, which is which defeats the purpose of having, uh, mm. you know, uh, having the setup in the first place. So you know, I think I, ju- I just think it's moving in that direction. And th- I mean, there are many there are many people that I know who won't ride a hookless rim out of principle because they just deem it to be they think it to be unsafe. They think it to be that there's nothing holding it to the rim. So what's to stop my tire just blowing off and and on the face of it you can you can you can almost you can understand where that concern comes from but you know the tolerances are so fine and tight now you know it's not like a, you know car wheels don't blow out you know every you know you don't see on your commute to work people with blown out car tires everywhere do you it's it, it's so i think the, the standard the ttrto standards are starting to bring that in but you know bring that a lot closer and i think i think it will just small steps and we'll start to see hookless sort of take over the world i have to say that you and i have tested our fair share of wheels mm. in our in our time in the bike industry <laughs> yeah and i i've got to say like every time i've had an issue with tubeless it's been on a hooked rim me too me too Just, mm. yeah. hookless i've set up i did some aero testing for a site that shall not be named. It was Road CC. <laughs> um, Don't go looking for it, though. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. Don't go clicking on the video. <laughs> um, a few months ago, and we set up all of the wheels, tubeless. They were all hookless rims, and they all went up without a hiccup. And it was amazing. And when you're doing that at the side of the road with no sealant, and you're doing it with a track pump, that makes your day a lot shorter. The other thing is, with 
hookless wheels, because manufacturers were having to overcome skepticism in the market, you got them listing tyres that they knew worked mm. and that they said were safe and that they knew set up properly. Yeah, Envy so gives you a really a long list of tyres exactly. that you can use. Yeah, yeah. Giant yeah. did it, Envy did it. I think even Zip did it as well. And, you know, when they when that sort of came about, I was like, I purposely went looking for a tyre that wasn't on the list mm. for a set of, tire, of set wheels I was testing. I think what they were, it was 303 Firecrest. And they didn't list the Michelin Pro Power 28. I had a set, I'll put them on. They've been on there for 18 months, so I haven't had an issue. I, I you know, I, I would just just to kind of temper this hookless loving. Like I, I was <laughs> I was very much like, you know, on the fence about it. You mm. know, in 2020 when the when you know when they were making these lists of tires, because back then obviously, you know, they had a lot of old tire designs such as yeah. the GP five thousand TL, which was specifically not approved for use on hookless rims, and you know, Continental had to kind of you know, stipulate that. And, and, and you know, it was tricky because the kind of wheels came out before the tyres got updated to the new ETRTO standards. I think now that everything's been updated and, you know, every tyre you want is available in tubeless form pretty much and is made to the new ETRTO standards, I, I just, I don't really have a problem with it. I've got hooked wheels that I set up tubeless. I've got a pair of hookless wheels. that I, they, they both work fine because they're both kind of like in that area of new standards. One thing I will say for hookless and... I've talked to a number of brands about this, uh, you know, and they're all very convinced that the, the fact that you can use a metal mandrel to mold a hookless rim as opposed to a kind of, you know, it's a silicon insert, a silicon yeah. insert to mold a hooked rim makes for, you know, better compaction of the carbon fiber, mm. less waste, as, as kind of has already been said, it's easier, cheaper, and is also more precise. So, so, I, do, so I do believe that. From a wheelmaker's point of view, I do believe that hookless is the I mean, way I, forward. Yeah, I went over, I was over in Indianapolis. Um, early part of last year visiting Zip and actually seeing the, the like hookless production on the new 808 and 858 and literally that, that rim comes out of the mould and you go oh it's finished yeah, whereas the, you know you see the previous gen version every one of those wheels needed trimming and and sanding and polishing you know to, to, because of the hook and there, and there was so much carbon waste aside from the fact that that silicon insert can only be used once you know and now it's stainless steel moulds and they're like well yeah this you know this, this mould's good for 750,000 rims or whatever and I mean, all of a sudden you sort of go oh yeah it's like from pure manufacturing terms and and being you know i'm not going to claim that making a carbon anything is green but it's a bit greener than it was you know so that's carbon capture isn't it right <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i think obviously you know i think this this mostly applies to carbon wheels so i'm sure if you're out there and you're still running aluminium wheels this this kind of won't be a problem and i know that obviously there are a lot of people who still want to run clincher tires or you know or inner tubes at least and as ash has sort of alluded to you you know it is still possible it's worth stressing to to run an inner tube on a hookless rim as long as you're using a tubeless tire so you still do have that option if you want to but but of course as as ash sort of said it kind of defeats the purpose of it and actually because of that you know ultra tight tolerance tubeless bead it can be quite difficult to get a, an inner tube in there as well and so that it's you know it's not ideal but i would say that generally yeah things have things have moved very very quickly on that front and you know whilst perhaps two years ago i would have you know not wanted to buy a set of hookless rims i think you know I, i've kind of softened on that quite significantly so yeah i think i think you're going to be totally right about that ash right so you've given me all of your predictions i'm going to give you uh, my predictions now, and I've, my first one is that I think the way that we all collectively think about aerodynamics and cycling is going to shift a bit this year. Do tell. 
So you know, we we talked a little about a little bit about rule changes earlier and how everything's you know you can have an eight to one. It's going to be really really streamlined. But I actually think that we're going to move away from streamlining and more into kind of airflow manipulation. You know, we're going to see more kind of handlebars like the Ribble Ultra handlebar. We're going to see more forks that are kind of wide. You know, interact with your legs. We're going to see more. I'm, af- I'm afraid to say we are going to see more massive helmets. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to see, you know, like the kind of specialized TT5, the big ones that Ineos wore. You know, we're going to see more visors with lit- little kind of edges to divert the airflow around the shoulder. We're going to see more pock tempore kind of things. I think we're going to see a lot more of that basically. And I and I and I would be surprised if every single brand just went down the kind of case of like, well, you know, we can make an eight to one handlebar profile we'll just make an eight to one handlebar profile because i think there are going to be more clever ways to do that Mm. as a pure aesthetic (laughs) roadie who loves nothing more than doing a road race in jersey and bib shorts because that's correct (laughs) and a vented helmet this i i'd love that this happens in uh, time trials i just really hope that it doesn't bleed into the road race scene no i think i think it's too late i think it's too late i think it already will i think narrow handlebars are going to be one of those things you know i think i think a lot of people will just kind of like we've got those new uci rules now i think over the next maybe you know this year is going to it's going to be in small steps but i think people are going to get narrow handlebars with things that kind of manipulate the airflow around you yeah like I, i wouldn't be surprised if someone releases a wild kind of like aero road helmet that is is kind of bigger than you know, normal, but specifically yeah, I mean, for the I, purposes of error. I, I kind of like the idea of, of that the, the new thinking, the new tech and everything, and, you know, new scientific-based research coming into it and, and changing everything. But um, I almost see that as you'll end up with more of a division between the pro peloton and what normal people do. Because if you start pushing all those parameters and start pushing aesthetics especially – because let's face it, most people buy bikes they like the way it looks. The same reason they buy kit. It do do you think that means the pro peloton's gonna be more like Formula One? Yeah. Where I do. where, yeah. where the tech and everything yeah. are being used in it has there's no relation beyond brand yeah. to what you actually do on the road. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, Liam kinda of mentioned it earlier about you know, racing in jerseys and bibs. Like I don't know anyone. Like there's a, there was a few brands a few years ago, Castelli, Sportful, who released the kind of, you know, the pro speed suits. Uh, I think it was the Castelli San Remo. Yeah. You know, and they just kind of no one bought them <laughs> because no one wants to ride around in a skin enough, suit. I did. Well, no, but you're a racer. <laughs> to be fair, to be fair, their winter onesie. Oh, that's okay. Fabulous. I've still got yeah. two of those, yeah. and you know, it's just the perfect thing. Yeah. Uh, and the, and also the yeah the the, the sort of um, Roubaix fabric like cross. Yes. onesie suit was really good yeah. you know like a three quarter shorts but yeah I, 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 I mean, there, think, are, there are ones that do have a practical application but but yeah yeah I think so I don't think you know there aren't too many people out there unless you're racing time trials you know technically you could re- you could wear a pock tempore around you know I've, I, I quite regularly see a guy commuting and he's wearing like a Planet X copy of a Cask Bambino yeah mm-hmm. he, must, he must be a very fast commuter I suppose but um you know, no one's buying the specialized S-Works TT5 helmet. That's the one with the kind of head sock. Oh. You know, I, ca- I can't imagine they're going to sell many of those other than to people who are, you know, amateur time trialists and, they, and they've gone to a wind tunnel, you know, they've gone to the... <laughs> I mean, the one thing I would say is like the whole visor thing. I used to be really skeptical of it. And I've got that Giro, what was the helmet Giro did a couple of years ago with the, with the magnetic... Oh, the air oh, attack. Oh, the air attack. Beautiful helmet with the, vi- with the visor a bit removed. But whenever I wore it and had the visor on, you think... I can't just go for a cruise on this. No. You've got to be on it. Yeah. You can't not 
be on it when you're wearing that. But then recently I was testing a like an urban city helmet with a flip down visor. And I, you know, you look at it and go, yeah, look like I'm out of Star Wars or something. And then we've had so much wet weather recently and I've been using it whilst I've been testing these e-bikes. And I sort of go, I don't care what it looks like. This is so practical. Mm. And um, I lent it to my next door neighbour to like, give him a go because he wears glasses. And, you know, cycling glasses are very, very expensive. And depending on your prescription, you can necessarily get anything with a decent wrap. And I gave it to him and he wrote it. And this is brilliant. I want one of these because... I can wear my glasses. I mean, that's that's not a bad point, actually, because I regularly, <laughs> like, obviously, every time I take my little my little one to childminders, every time it's raining, it's like, you know, my glasses just get, I should try that. That's a good tip. That's a good tip. So, yeah, but I, I, I agree. I think um, I think that we will see more kind of divergence. You know, obviously, you know, the kind of the AFOS has, specialised AFOS has sort of shown that there is a demand out there from consumers for kind of simpler bikes that are more classically styled. And I agree with you. People buy bikes based on how they look. But I do think at that kind of pro level, the next kind of vanguard of aero technology isn't going to be in simply just making things more streamlined. It's going to be in kind of manipulating airflow yeah. in in kind of more I mean, I, I, I intelligent think, ways. Yeah, you think the way that it would be doing it would be dealing with the you know the biggest aerodynamic problem, and that's the rider. Yeah, you, know, you think that would be where mm-hmm. it's at. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and you would think so. And it's kind of, I suppose, it's kind of one of those things where you know, it, I, I think often you know, parts and frames and wheels and, you know, things are designed in isolation, right? So you've got a handlebar designer who's going, how do I make this handlebar more aerodynamic? He's got his little CFD CFD profile on his computer and he's going, well, I can, you know, elongate this tube and we can make it more aero, right? So my next prediction is that aero sensors still won't be the new power meters. I think Ooh. I think we're having, we've got a number of kind of products in the work. We've got obviously Notio Connect already exists. We've got the aero sensor, which is kind of, it is what it is, is what it's called. It's being made by another brand. That's that kind of 3D printed one made by people who have a Formula One background. There's also Body Rocket, uh, which is obviously, they've got people like Alex Dowsett on board. I think ultimately, they're still going to be too complicated for most people to use. It's really sad because I really wanted one. And I've kind of looked into this quite a lot and to see if we could use it for testing. But, you know, to use one you need a power meter on your bike, you know, becoming more ubiquitous, but that means it's a, you know, becomes more expensive if you don't have one. You need a kind of appropriate traffic-free testing location. You need a windless day. You need knowledge of how to do kind of repeat runs. You, you know, you need to be sort of savvy at analyzing all of this data in a way that, you know, with with power numbers, it's very simple, right? If you go out and you pedal and you, you know, you turn the pedals harder than you did on your previous ride, you, you know, the, the number is higher you were better. And I just don't, I think aerosensors are, are still, you know, aerodynamics are really complicated and it's very hard to measure what your body is doing with a sensor on the bike. This is so left field. So <laughs> interesting. And so you. I think, I think there's two ways to look at this because if you take a power meter and you put it on your bike, it does not make you faster. It's no. how you use it. And, and these sensors are the same thing. If you put it on yes. your bike, it ain't going to make you faster. But I think the aero sensors have the potential to make you faster than a power meter would make you. Because realistically, most of us that are not pro have a level that we can get to. And then your body gets to a point and it goes, oh, you know what I want to do right now? I don't want to buff all of lactic <laughs> acid. And you are just going to feel terrible. And then you have to stop. The aero thing, you can... As long as you're prepared to put in the work in terms of getting your core strength up, your flexibility 
improved, you almost have limitless potential to improve your aerodynamics. Totally. So, yeah. so these sensors, I I would say, if you can get a cheap power meter, they're probably a better investment than a, a really highly accurate power meter. So the only the only thing I would say to that, and this is the kind of the crux of the problem, is that I don't disagree at all on the potential of them. Mm-hmm. I think the potential of them and this idea that yeah, having your kind of live aerodynamic drag would be so good and it would be it would it would it would be so game changing it would be better than the new power meters it would be incredible the issue is that like the data you put into it is always going to be compromised by yeah power meter accuracy you also need to know rolling resistance as well and the problem with rolling resistance is that rolling resistance changes <laughs> depending on where you're riding depending on the temperature depending on how much you weigh depending on how yeah, much psi I you put your s- I would say that at the very you know very kind of base level uh, any any of us and I think most of us have being in a wind tunnel just as part of some sort of you know marketing thing for some brand or whatever and it's one of those things that you're in a position and then you go right move your position and they immediately go right you're faster and i think even at that absolute base level if something like this is there and you get that then immediately there's there's been a change it's a simple thing about you know bring your elbows in tucking your head down a little bit all those things then you can immediately get a benefit from that i don't see these error testing units as being a kind of personal item but i think your club you know your group or you know of friends or whatever as a kind of almost like group you know group groupon coupon you know bulk <laughs> buy thing you buy one and everybody shares it i think that's there's something to that i i i would like to I, it's not that i don't want to see it happen of course i you know like because i said I, i've kind of looked into this as a you know because we, we you know we when we get aerodynamic things you know if there's a raft of new aero bikes coming this year i'd love to be able to test them the issue is getting that kind of resolution in the data is at the moment i think too hard mm. you know with a power meter you just have to go out do a zero offset and then you know you ride you know provided it's a good power meter you've installed it properly but with these there's just unfortunately i think there are too many hurdles to overcome i also think you know that the prices will be very expensive because they won't be mass market That's things okay. so yeah but the thing I'm is very... i think if you bring it back away from almost away from the tech and and about the person i think there are definite you know as liam was saying i think there, are, there is a definite game to be had quite simply yeah you know, totally. rather than you know i know what i, hope I, I know you i know what you i know you would you know you'd be looking at yeah tire width and well a comparison of tire resistance you know, and every yeah, single element you yeah. can get onto it and then trying to deep deep dive onto that whereas i'm saying it's like it, it would be just like having a good coach who just says change your position a bit there mate you'll go quicker yeah you know it's, I, it's, I, it's I, literally I hope, a tool yeah. for doing that i hope i'm wrong it would be really great if you know the body rocket or the aero sensor released and it was you know, totally user friendly, and we could all, all of a sudden, we would just demystify aerodynamics. Mm. I just don't think it's going to happen. Can we get an office one? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I have, I have asked. That, you know, that I think this is part of the problem is that you know they 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 don't want them in the hands of people who don't know how to use them because then if we say, oh, you know, we couldn't get anything out of it, it's because they're complicated to use. Blah 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 blah. Anyway. Thank you very much for listening to that rambling podcast. If you do have any of your own tech prediction or any feedback, please send us an email at podcast at bikeradar.com. Of course, we will be publishing an article on bikeradar.com with our road tech predictions, so you can leave a comment there if you'd like to as well. As always, please do leave us a review and subscribe if you haven't already, as that really helps our podcast reach more people. And thanks you very much, Was Ash and Liam, for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you.